We are the spirits of the forum. Bring us the cup. Remember what we have done. Join us in sports' most storied lineage. Remember those who have led us. Bring us the cup. Remember who we are. What we have accomplished. Remember who you represent. Receive the torch. Join us that generations may seek to emulate. Accept your challenge. Fulfill our destiny. Bring us the cup. The team wasn't even here on Monday night, but over 17,000 were on hand at the Forum. And after the game, they were on the street, St. Catharines, to celebrate. Tonight, they'll be inside because the Montreal Canadiens could take the big skate with the Stanley Cup. Hello, everybody. Gary Thorne, Bill Clement, and welcome. Stanley Cup final continues here at the Forum in Montreal. The question is, can the Kings stop it at least for one game? Well, Gary, their playoff ship is officially taking on water. The first order of business for the L.A. Kings in this hockey game has to be getting the puck by Patrick Waugh. He has been sensational and will be the MVP if the Canadians clinch. How confident is he? Watch what he did right there to Tomas Sandstrom in game four after making a save on him. He is that confident. The L.A. Kings have to drive the net. They have not done that well since game one. Worst case scenario for the L.A. Kings, even if they don't score, they will be able to draw penalties. They have to drive the net to try to take something away from Patrick Waugh. Every game now is a must game for the Los Angeles Kings, and if they don't get it here, it is all over. We'll be back. Will it be the night? We'll see the Kings and the Canadians coming up. Hello, welcome to episode number 56 of the Lecture vs. Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Moncari, in Sault Ste. Marie uh, during the Thanksgiving weekend. This is the second part of our 1993 Stanley Cup Final doubleheader as we discuss Game 5 of the series between the Los Angeles Kings and the Montreal Canadiens. Joining me once again, our guest from episode 55, Phil Heilman. Phil, I'd ask if you're excited, but I already know the answer to this. Absolutely beyond excited. So, since we last left you, in Game 3 and Game 4, the Habs head to L.A., the series tied at 1, and come away with a pair of overtime wins. In Game number 3, uh, John LeClaire is the overtime hero, 34 seconds in the extra frame with his third attempt on net. Brian Bellis with a goal and assist in that one. Wayne Gretzky a goal and assist as well along the way. The Habs had led 3 to nothing at one point in that game, but the Kings come back a tie in the second period. Pain. Pain, brother. Uh, also in that game, there is a massive hit by Mark Hardy and Mike Keane where guys just go flying into the abyss. Late in the third period, there's some controversy. This is from Wikipedia. Straight read here. With time running out in the third period, Montreal captain Guy Carbono appeared to cover the puck in the goal crease. With such little time remaining, 12 seconds would have had resulted in a penalty shot for Los Angeles, but the referee ruled the puck had been shot by Kings player into Carbono's equipment and so the period remained scoreless. After the series, the ref admitted that he made a mistake on the call. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you for your service. Wait. <laughs> In your case, yes. Yes. Um, so, that ends game number three. In game four, John LeClaire does it again. This time, a 2-1 easy tap-in as Rudy overcommits on this one. It happens to go 10-1 overtimes. Patrick Waugh, 40 saves. Rudy with 36. 3-2 halves, and they now hold a 3-1 series lead. Phil excited. Very excited. So, that brings us to June 9th, 1993. We're back in the Montreal Forum for Game 5. This time around, it is the ESPN theme with Gary Ford and Bill Clement. You also have road reporters Tom Meese and Al Morganti. Okay, the, let's, there's a few, different, a few things to get over here. The intro with Gary Thorne, I'm ready to run through a goddamn wall. I don't cheer for the Montreal Canadiens. Absolutely. Play that for me every morning when I go to work. Like, good lord. Amazing. Um, They mentioned that Patrick Wall wink on Thomas Antrim during game four. If you, 
you must have seen it at this point. <laughs> if you're if a hockey not, fan. If not, take a quick trip to YouTube and you'll find it. Mwah. Um, Gary Thorne says, Every game is now a must game for the Los Angeles Kings. <laughs> I know he meant win, but it's funny. <laughs> uh, uh, He's he still not wrong, though. <laughs> so, we come back and we have a panel of John Saunders, John Davidson, and Jim Schoenfeld. Have another donut, you fat pig. <laughs> thank, thank you for your service, Les. <laughs> uh, I, hope you, I hope you know that reference, kids. Um, while the panel is wild, unfortunately, they're not that wild. The pa- this is a situation where the panel members are like, why? But the topics that the panel covers are boring. Yes, there's stuff, but there's nothing worth really. No, not not really, no. Alright, so, we're set for game five. Um, again, we kind of talked a little bit about the background at this point uh, of time. So, I'm assuming for game five, you knew nothing going in. No, I knew absolutely nothing. Well, other uh, than the outcome. I... Well, yes, I mean, I knew... Yeah, again, besides the outcome, I didn't know any of the nuances of Game 5. So, uh, we get going in the first period. My first note, Gary Thorne is excited. (laughs) Evergreen. Uh, Yes, exactly. Uh, Gretzky takes a slap pass uh, from Blake, and then a backhander near his office to Granado, but Ross able to shut the door on that one. Dave Taylor is out for this game with bad shoulders, so Charlie Huddy is playing, um, or he's not playing, but also Charlie Huddy is playing, I should say, with a third-degree MCL sprain. That seems bad. That seems very bad. Uh, point shot, I think it's from Storm, but it could be Hardy, a stop by Wall, who then tries to bat the puck out of the air, and Shujak is there, but he can't convert. Oh, Patty Roy, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, one of the rare times in the whole entire 93 playoffs that I went, no, Patty. No. <laughs> Benoit Brunet with a give and go with Ed Ronan, but he can't connect as he rushes towards Rudy. Uh, the first penalty is called when Matt uh, Conacher, who has worked by two halves, is knocked down a stop by Matthew Schneider and is called for tripping at 435. Yeah. Terry, yeah. Terry Gregson is our referee, by the way. I should note, compared to what we saw in the last game that we did with uh, your buddy, Gary uh, Frazier. Um, not as much going whacked for half the calls in this one. This is pretty, you yeah, don't notice was, the refs. I was, I was just, I was just going to say like, this is very, like if there was a penalty call, it was an actual penalty. Like it was, yeah. By the way, if I don't mention names as, as much as I have in the first time in the first games, I do mention a lot as in the previous episode. This is a recording shortly after that episode. So I'm just assuming we've already said these names. So in case I mentioned the last name, you're like, Who? Like Gretzky, yes. for instance. That could be anybody. That could be Keith. could be Brent. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, in case you need to know the first names, you can hear them on that one if you haven't heard of that. Not sure why you listen to the previous, this episode, and then go with the other episode. I don't know. Yes. Decisions are made. Like a TSN program director for college football matchups. <laughs> anyway, coming into this power play, the Kings have been one for their last 18. Seems bad. Very bad. That goal came late in the second period. McSorley tied it up at two in game number four. Prior to that, Luke Robitaille had two power play goals in game one. Gretzky with a feed to Luke Robitaille in the slot, but nothing comes to that one. That's killed off. The Habs just about get a four on two. Rudy comes out of his net to stop Lehman as he takes a nice feed from Matthew Schneider. Uh, a four check by the Habs. Paul DiPietro knocks the puck away from Charlie Huddy. Lehman takes it and finds a streaking Gilbert Dion, but he's stopped by Rudy's nearing nine minutes gone in the first period. Mahler then takes a feed from Brian Bells in the traffic, but no dice. Then a delayed penalty of 9-14 left as Keen Kurtz called for charging on a hit on Granado. Why? What happened? Oh, don't hit a guy with the puck's like already gone for three seconds, Phil. Just throw that out there. <laughs> Just a shot in the dark there. <laughs> uh, Gretzky with a shot in a power play that Robotite tips wide. Uh, Zitnik with a point. Look, Zitnik with a point shot. That might have been tipped by Jimmy Carson, who's back in the lineup uh, as the power play expires, but we'll have the save. As that ends, Granado is called for chipping on Schneider on a board battle of 7-11 left in the first period. The Habs are 3-for-8 in their last power play, which is much better than we saw in the last time before Desjardins tied it in Game 2. Yes. See, <laughs> Eon is better. 
Uh, a near disaster for the Habs. Desjardins passes the puck. Desjardins passes the puck to Patrice Breeze. There's a weird bounce off the boards. Um, and two guys from the Kings are closing in. I think it's Reichel and Conacher. Warren Reichel is in Pat Conacher. But, yes. <clears throat> excuse me. But as they're closing in on that, uh, Breeze was able to clear the puck away in time. Bells with a long shot from Bodice. He ends up getting it back as the puck goes towards him. But he can't get a shot off before losing space. Then just as the power play ends, this happens. Taken by Waters, back in his own end. No score. Hit by LeClaire. Lehman. Can it be LeClaire setting up another goal? Shot. Yeah! Paul DiPietro! by John LeClaire. He wiped out Tim Waters. Good things happen when you hit deep in the zone. Tim Waters went to LeClaire to try and tie him up and nobody could get to Gary Lehman. Give Lehman a lot of credit. He didn't panic. He didn't try the sharp angle shot. He waited for DiPietro to get in place. Waters down. Lehman with the puck. Waiting, waiting. Here comes his guy now. Paul DiPietro followed Shuchuk as Shuchuk moved towards LeClaire. No mistake. No mistake at all for Paul DiPietro. There is Gary Lehman in the doghouse, in the playoffs, out of the stands, and into the lineup this series. And he made a terrific play on that one. The Canadiens, when they've scored first, they've won. They lead one to nothing. John LeClaire already has three game-winning goals this year. Down first. Save Rudy. Rebound. Kicked away. Conacher's got it. Right off the faceoff. Tim Waters has the puck. He fans on the pass and just gets absolutely wrecked by John LeClaire. Gary Lehman gets it. He waits. And in comes Paul DiPietro, who wires it by the glove of Rudy. DiPietro, seven of the playoffs from Lehman and LeClaire at 15-10. And the fact that LeClaire is, like, getting hooked in front of the net, too. Don't mind that. The fact that DiPietro, like, that, that DiPietro shot is... It doesn't appear to be the hardest shot in the world, but the fact that he picked a corner, like, makes a difference there. Car drives by at a high rate of speed, and Sue St. Marie, you may have heard in the background there. Or you may not have. I don't know. (laughs) I'll find out in the post process. As you heard at the end of that clip, uh, right after the goal, Domfus all of a sudden gets a breakaway, but is stopped by Rudy. Yes. That would have blown the roof off the forum. Oh, my goodness, yes. Uh, Gary and uh, Bill are talking about Patrick Watt. His save percentage is second to Curtis Joseph, who, quote, faced all of the pucks ever made in Canada and the United States this playoffs. He's not wrong. Uh, a scrum ensues after Gilbert Dion takes a shot after an offside whistle. Uh, someone in the crowd is wearing a Donald Duck shirt. Fat fashion. 14 out of 10. <laughs> um... Donald Dufresne is making his debut tonight uh, for the playoffs so he can get his name on the Stanley Cup if they do happen to win. Jesse Belanger is also in a situation from Montreal, but he ends up not playing, so there's no engraved name for him in that one. Uh, Carbono and uh, Rob Blake are going at it for a bit. There's a whistle goes with 37 seconds left as Blake is called for roughing of a forearm shiver. Ronan and Sandstrom are offsetting in the scrum behind the play, and Bill informs us that the Habs still think McStorley is playing with a legal stick. Or illegal stick after it fell out of his hands near to have his bench in game four. Oh, McSorley. Uh, <laughs> what are you doing, buddy? Yeah, it, yes, exactly. The fact, and, and, they, and they showed a couple of replays showing the Rob Lake roughing call. Like, you can see, Carbonell Car- is not the biggest guy on the ice. Rob Blake, on the other hand, probably is the biggest guy on, on, on the ice. So the fact that you can see Rob Blake just throw his like arm out and smack Carbino right in the face, like it looks like his 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 visor cut his face, but that might be from the hit before. Uh Thorne can't quite figure out entirely, but none but nonetheless. Mm-hmm. So that ends up the first period. One Davy Marshall shots are ten seven. Thoughts on the opening three? Um, you can kind of see, and you can feel it in the opening pregame. It could be more because it's Gary Thorne telling telling you the pregame more than anything. But you can feel the energy in the air of like the Habs. Ha- it, it 
the Habs game to lose, basically. And the only team that is the LA Kings are just trying to keep up. But say, yes, they have young guys like like Siddle and Robert High and all that. But you can just kind of feel the momentum not entirely being the LA Kings way. Not much happens during the intermission, as we discussed earlier, except for Tom Meese chatting with the awesomely named LA King assistant coach Cap Reader. What a name. And the fact that he looks like a bootleg Phil Collins from that time <laughs> makes it even more amazing. You're not excited about that at all. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> so, the Habs do nothing on that power play. Brunet then comes out of the corner, finds Guy Carbonell, kicks Save Beauty by Rudy on the first look. Uh, Clement thinks it's off the post. I know you're up one nothing on me, Gary. Then Gary just goes, you got it. So this is your end of the ice, he says. <laughs> After that sequence, we get this. Deflected back off Robitaille's stick. Robitaille lost it. Deon to DiPietro. He was all by his lonesome. DiPietro centering pass. Blocked to the corner. Bad turnover by the Kings right there. See if they get away with it. Kicked away to Carson. Jimmy Carson working a regular shift. Overskated it. DiPietro missed it on the short side. Paul DiPietro, a force in this game so far. Marty McSorley starts it out. McSorley drops it. Carson to Robitaille. Robitaille in the middle. McSorley scores! This game is tied! 1-1! But the Canadians aren't arguing it. It looked like it went post to post, but I think it went post to the inside of the net. And Marty McSorley has tied this hockey game. He did a great job of getting up on the play. You can see the two Kings made it a two-on-two. Marty McSorley helped with the overload. It went high off the Patrick Watch's watch to go behind him. Never even flinched. Watch it. High off the right post. And then off the last ball, it bounced behind the goal line. It never did enter the net on either side of the post. It wasn't until it bounced on the goal line behind it, then bounced out again, that the goal light went on. They are going to make it interesting and maybe a little more. Game is tied at 1-1 as Marty McSorley picks up the goal to tie this game. They're going to call upstairs to the video replay judge to determine whether or not it crossed the line. Gary Gregson will talk with him. The video replay judge can make the call on his own or go with what they ruled on the ice. Well, we think we've got this one figured out. Let's see if we're right. Post to post and then bounce. Post to post. Watch where it lands. Oh, it's in there. Isn't that incredible that it bounced behind the line and then took a, took a cam out this way? How'd that happen? It's not in the net yet. Now it is. And it bounced out. You wonder why there's video replay in hockey. I mean, the goal judge and Gregson both had it, though, Gary. The goal judge clicked the light on, and Terry Gregson signaled that it was a goal. And it is still tied at 1-1. The Kings are a hot mess, trying to clear it out of their own, and DiPiaccio's snipes the puck away from Carson, gets a good shot going gloves on Rudy, but goes wide of the net. Then the Kings kind of rush off the ice out of nowhere. McFoy takes a feed from Robitaille, and woof! It goes Absolutely. off the two posts and eventually bounces over the line. But McSorley is four for the playoffs from Carson Robitaille at 240. Ugh. <laughs> and, the fact, and the fact that it took so long for them, like, obviously the players on the ice, especially McSorley, realized that it was a goal. And, I mean, even if it wasn't, they were, were going to sell it. But it took a long time for the broadcast booth to realize, hey, that's actually a goal because it goes off both posts and it, it it only actually goes in when it hits the ice after that and it's barely like an inch over the line anyways a little over a minute later this happens and he has picked up two of those in this series third around Muller off the dasher Muller trying to hold it in Matthew Schneider shot the flex behind the net rebound Dampus Dampus out there with Muller and Bellows for Bellows missed it held into overline from Schneider shot deflected did not get in on Kelly Rudy Rob Blake was able to block it Dampus again looking for Bellows Dampus himself Muller shot Montreal Canadiens all kinds of credit on this goal. 
good work by Kirk Muller to keep the play alive. Then Don Bruce with the puck behind the net. He tries to wrap around and misfires. But Muller had moved to the front. And I don't know if you noticed on the right of the screen, Brian Bellows had his helmet ripped off and it went into three pieces. The linesmen were picking it up after the goal. Good play by Don Bruce because he was being flushed out. Kirk Muller moved to the front. And Gary Shue, or Rob Blake, number four, never really did have him tied up. And the Canadians have regained the lead. So how long... Did LA even stay in a tied situation? I mean, less than two minutes. A point shot from Lyle Odeline ends up in, in the air. Uh, and it goes up goes up in the air and ends up in the corner, I should say. Dan Foose takes it behind the net and goes to out in front, tries to wrap around, and ends up going to Mahler, who slides the puck home. The hero in his sequence, though, is a guy who just yells out, Rudy, you suck! <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mahler's 10th of the postseason from Dan Foose and Odeline. 351, Habs lead 2-1. to one. The fact that, that, that Dan Foose, and, and it doesn't look like that he was trying to do what he ended up doing, but you can see Rudy trying to like poke check in a way as Dan Poose is coming from out uh, behind the net, and he basically goes like a- around his poke check, and that's when he sees... Miller, so I don't know if you want to call that like like a pass, and it just kind of loses the puck. But the fact that 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 Muller was there when he was makes a difference. Mm-hmm. So we come back from a commercial break. Bill Clement's talking about how you know, obviously a lot of Montreal fans there, obviously it's in the forum, but the Kings have some fans here too. Craig Sadler is in the <laughs> guy. Guy. Uh, I think Gary Thornton dunks on the Worcester Pro-Am tournament. So you need to play that. <laughs> They're like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Lehman is called for a hook slash trip on Hardy. The ref says it's a trip. Um, we'll, we'll see on that. But <laughs> Yes, exactly. Uh, Hardy's still got a pass off of that suit because the Granado tips it on goal but Rob whacks it away. Um, 5.32 left on uh, when that call was made. Clement, Hardy made that one look great. A half gainer off the three-meter diving board. <laughs> Gary then says, 80 countries worldwide are calling this, are, are broadcasting this global event. I'm like, well, it's not our feed that we're getting, Gary. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I have the CBC. Uh, the Habs forecheck in the latter half of this penalty kill leaves the Kings power play with absolutely nothing. Oh, that is just like a wet blanket, especially the second half of that. They they can't. It's not that they can't pass it. They just like trying to pass through like the 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 equivalent of North Battleford is just absolutely miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, Dom Foos and Granado are going after it before a faceoff. Then the puck drops. Nice quiet right elbow to Granado's face with the ref right there. Apparently that's a penalty. Seven forty mark of the period. It was that was a penalty that I still yelled where, even though I it, it was a clear penalty. But I was like, Granado, you mother effort!" Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I think, and I think it's mentioned that that's like the ninth penalty that Granado has drawn against the Canadians in that series. And I went, "Good lord!" Like, like. Wow, you know. So, uh, like you think of a point shot, Robotai is there in the rebound, but he misses the open side of the net. Uh, Zitnik of another chance right after that, but a standing save by Wall covers that one up. Power plays killed off. Yari Kurva shot that may have gone off top of Wall's glove as he gets crash injured by Conker and goes down as Conker is tangled up with Bells. Wall lives, 951 left in the second, and then the DJ loses his damn mind. Now. Phil and I had spent like three minutes trying to figure out what this song is. It was a massive search party. We are like, this sounds like a bootleg Phil Collins B-side or a Hall & Oates B-side, you said. And then it was yeah. some French artist we had never heard of. It was just it, it was just something that entirely blew me away. And like I said, the whole, the whole reason why I went on the search party for it, I was like, this sounds like some, some, some super deep cut Hall and Oates song. Like, we need to find this. <laughs> and as it turned out, I mean, it was still amazing, but it wasn't nearly as amazing as if, if it was <clears> like some crazy Phil Collins cut from 1988. Like, uh, I think I remember, it's like, is this Bruce Hornsby? I have no idea what this is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> One for the kids or Bruce Hornsby reference there, by the way. Yes. So, uh, Leclerc of a nice rush. He loses space, though, as Rudy blocks that. 
another shot from Leclerc is wide of the net. Shortly after, a uh, penalty is called as Hardy uh, for holding on Bellows, uh, 10-28. Um, also, around this time, Charlie Huddy is wrecked by Paul DiBiatro, but nothing is called. Also, Leclerc is getting comp to Kevin Stevens and Eric Lindros. Okay, having done the Lindros series, that is a insane comp to make. Leclerc is not Eric Lindros. Even, even I, even I looked at that and I went, okay, I, I understand it from the size perspective. That is it, though. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, while we're trying to figure out a good comp for Leclerc, we get this. Base off to the right of Kelly Rudy. A minute 17 left on the Kings penalty. Los Angeles able to clear the zone. Canadians leading it by a score of 2-1. Got the lead on DiPietro's goal in the first. Marty McSorley tied at 2.40 in the second. At 3.51, Kurt Muller put the Canadians back on top. Breeze by ahead for LeClaire. Keen in the middle. Keen drops it. LeBron scores! the LA Kings were going to get away with this one. The Canadians on a rush. Nobody covered Keane. Nobody covered LeBeau. But he fanned on the first one. He was able to get his stick back down because he, he was squeezing his stick tight enough to get the shot under Kelly Rudy. What a feed by Mike Keane. Now watch. LeBeau misses the first one. But he stays with it. And Yari Curry wasn't able to hold him up. Stefan LeBeau, who has not played much in this hockey game so far given the Montreal Canadiens a 3-1 lead. Leclerc and Keane will undoubtedly get assists. It is a power play goal picked up by Stefan LeBeau. And a timeout is going to be taken right here by Barry Melrose and the Kings with 8.29 left to go in the second period. The Montreal Canadiens needing one more win to win the cup have a 3-1 lead. Halfway through the power play, Breezeball gives it up to Leclerc, who goes to Keane, and back to LeBeau, who slides it five-hole on Rudy. Nifty stuff, especially for Keane, between the leg backhand on Huddy. And LeBeau actually whiffed on the first shot attempt, but as the pressure for, for pressure for Curry, was able to get back in the stick and score. Third of the playoffs from Keane and Leclerc. Power play goal, 11-31, 3-1 Montreal. Melrose takes a timeout with 8.29 left. The fact that LeBeau, like, whiffs on that first time ends up being the probably the best whiff of his hockey career because it it, it, it means that Rudy's five-hole opens up and he's able to shoot it through the five-hole. So Carbido with a chance in the slot off the face off goes right in the glove of Rudy. About 3.45 left as Gary is praising Patrick Waugh's dry sense of humor. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Granado with a shot that's tipped by Reichel and tight and saved by Wah. Bells then drives to net, but only must a weak backhander is it, and it keeps him honest. Uh, Dom Fuz with a nice backhander rush stop by Rudy for about 2.30 to go. Then we get this. Breezeboy sends it in. 2.30 left to go here in the second period. Martin Sorley behind the net, overskated. Pat Conacher will come back to get it. Conacher near side for McSorley. McSorley lost it. DiPietro. Dion! surprised that Pat Conacher tried his long cross-ice pass and I'm amazed that Marty McSorley tried his because they just didn't shape up quickly enough. Conacher got his through to McSorley but then Marty McSorley did not come close to getting his across the ice. Paul DiPietro typical of the Canadian standing high in the offensive zone right in the middle of the ice fed it in to Dion and this is as brilliant a save as Kelly Rudy has made in the playoffs, I'm sure. What a fabulous save. Dion went wide. Where did he shoot it? Well, he tried to go back in the middle, even if he'd gone wide. Kelly Rudy had his pad there. Makes sort of a bad turnover, Deep Pietro. He finds Dion alone in front. Oh! <laughs> or whatever Gary said. Gary was excited. A huge pad save by Rudy. Uh, which... Right in the uh, his right pad, which basically where it was aimed the whole time from Dion. Still, a really good save though. I, I, was, I was just gonna say the way the way Kelly Rudy makes pad saves, it 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 
it feels like you're kind of swinging a two by four at at the puck. Basically, it gets the job done, but it looks really weird when it's happening. Dipietro then gets a good long range shot that Rudy saves on, and as a little afterwards, Gary is wondering about Wayne Gretzky ice time. He needs to come back. He didn't play a lot for a certain amount of time. Then we get this strange sequence. Major League Baseball. The coverage continues right here on ESPN Friday at 10.30 Eastern, 7.30 Pacific. The Chicago Cubs with Mark Grace take on the San Francisco Giants. And potential MVP, maybe even a triple crown for Barry Bonds. And San Francisco on top right now over Houston and the Red Hot Los Angeles team. Atlanta, Cincinnati, San Diego, and the Rocks. I still think Colorado can make a run for it. The next to last? Yes, a little pitching. Wouldn't, wouldn't hurt right now, but a lot of pitching. Yeah, that too. Why is this a strange sequence? Not so much for the baseball tight, you know, the Cubs-Giants are, quote, alternate games going to play later in the week. But Bill saying the Rockies is 17-40, and 40, can make a run for it, and Gary going from next for next to last? That absolutely <laughs> killed me. <laughs> that, that had me roaring after that exchange. <laughs> um... In terms of the period, that pretty much wraps things up. 3-1 Montreal, shots are 22-14, 12-7 in a second. And we'll touch on this a bit in the third period, but the 3-1 goal, I mean, knowing what's coming, that felt like the absolute dagger. Well, and, and, and even without knowing what else coming, uh, I don't... The Kings didn't play well. Like, they played good in that second period, but they didn't play, like, really good. And you just kind of felt that the Habs really starting to smother them. And especially the 3-1 power play goal just really made it feel like, okay, like after after the third period is done, you know, the Stanley Cup's going to be brought out. So during the intermission, we have a Habs overtime montage. And I assume Phil wants me to play this overtime clip montage. Absolutely. All right, here it is. Dabus, nice move, shooting right on, they score! With Muller, Vincent Dabus, cross to Muller, shot goes! Kirk Muller! Kearney battling for it, they go crashing in, Ronan and Kearney, here's a loose puck, Samar to Carbonell, they score! Dee Carbonell wins it for Montreal! Oh, getting another chance, top of the spot, stay goal, free score! Kurt Muller, Kurt Muller the shot, and he scores! Three on two for the moment, Fitzgerald trying to get back. Down to, down to, drops it, Laveau, shot, scores! Laveau! Canadians win in double overtime! Four to three! Canadians back the other way, three on three, they wait to set it up. fact that you have like Chris Cuthbert there you have Tom Meese intermixing there then you get Gary Thorne at the end just losing his mind on everything oh god yes yeah it, out of out of all of the broadcasters that show up in that montage uh, in, in, in that montage uh, Thorne is my favorite by far uh, so we get set for the third period here Thorne looking at the eyes of hockey's greatest player but they aren't the eyes it looks like of an excellent of a, of a comeback of a come from behind win not there not right now, anyway. <laughs> uh, the Kings are also 0-5 and trailing after 2 in the playoffs. That doesn't seem good. No, that seems less than ideal. The first early chance in the period belongs to the Habs as John LeClaire an early pass to Brian Bell is in front but is ripped wide. Bill then thinks that Melrose should go for an illegal stick penalty of his own. I was absolutely hooting and hollering over that. Could you imagine if he had <laughs> The good old Wadena boy. <laughs> uh, Rudy then makes a nice save on a Shiner point shot off the face-off. Carbonell then finds Ronan in the slot, uh, but Ed's shot goes over the net. Muller then finds a good loose puck from J.J. Dangler's shot that got off a little Claire. Uh, Rudy with the save there. Then we get some 1986 Patrick Waugh footage against Calgary. Phil's excited. 
absolutely excited. Gary then says they had an enormous crowd in the 1986 celebrations. Bill then goes, what's the next bigger size than enormous for tonight? Gary, a Google, which is a one fall by a hundred zeros or a Google. <laughs> I can't exactly how you pronounce it. They also yes. say the entire police force of Montreal and the suburbs are in force outside of the forum. Hmm, foreshadowing. Hmm, why? What happened? You'll find out later. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Dion's counterattack after a wraparound attempt was sorted by Donnelly. Uh, his shot is going, or after a Donnelly attempt, uh, the shot is a windmill glove save whack by Rudy to get out of the air, and later a feed to Di Pietro goes wide. With 8.30 to go in the period, we get this. Di Pietro couldn't hold it in the zone. Gary Lehman just came off the bench, dumped it back in. Cleared up ahead by Zitnik. Zitnik with Carson and Granado. Granado off his skate. Snyder not out. Blake the shot. Deflected wide off the back of the net. Centered. In front shot blocked. Granado. Granado couldn't get it again for the shot. Di Pietro comes. Dion with him. Blake in the middle. Gilbert Dion. Di Pietro. Dion. Di Pietro scores! Second of the game! Kings can't wrangle the puck in the attacking zone. Deep branch and Dion head up on the ice in a two-on-one with Blake and the man in the middle. Dion carves into the slot in front. Deep Pietro comes from behind him and goes glove high on Rudy for a second goal tonight. Deep Pietro with eight playoff goals now, doubling his regular season output in 29 games from Dion and Odeline at 12.06. Well, if it wasn't over before, Phil, it is now. And you have to go to an upper shot, like from high above the forum, because everyone is standing and blocking the view. Basically, like it, it was, and, and and we and we talked about this pre pre uh, recording, but especially playoff, and, and this this one's been beat to death at this at this point. But you need essentially your your not top guys to score goals when it's needed the most. And Paul D. Pietro is the one. That that I mean, two goals in this in this game so far. He he is the guy that stepped up when somebody needed to step up. Good old Sue Saint Marie boy right there, Paul DiPietro. Didn't play for the uh, Hounds, unfortunately. Played for the Sudbury Wolves, but we won't <laughs> hold that against him. For two. So you're already chanting na 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 na. Hey hey gay goodbye in the forum. This is any idea of how this game's going? Yes. <laughs> Uh, there's a give-and-go play with Muller and LeClaire. McClaire can't connect in the first feed. Gary then starts remembering Montreal teams. The AAA Athletics, the Victorias, the Shamrocks, the Wanderers, and the Maroons. <laughs> let's, let's remember some teams. Rudy then stacks the pad as Dion almost tips home a feed from Deep Pietro on an man rush at 4.30 or so left. The last... But, I mean, at this point, the fans are just going nuts, basically, until the end of the clock winds down. Let's just hear the finish. Patrick Waugh. Ron Smythe Award will be announced after the game. The MVP, LeClaire, brings it in. Under 30 left to go. They will win this four games to one, just as they have won the last two cups. Wow, let's it go wide. The final 15 seconds, just turn it up, listen, and look at the sound of a Stanley Cup champion. Make the final 4-1 Montreal. Final shots are 29-19, 7-5 third period. The Habs win their 24th Stanley Cup. Congratulations, Phil. Thank you for your service, class. <laughs> um, we get a wild Ron McLean footage on the ice. He spotted chatting with Patrick Waugh for the CBC. Then a fan comes out in the ice out of nowhere in the middle of the celebration and two blue shirt security guys go after him. They don't, like, tackle him, but they... But they kind of like drag him away, how you drag a drunk out of a, like an English pub, basically. It just, it, it, the whole thing was comical to me. Then Gary Bettman reappears. Boo! Boo! Well, he hasn't really booed yet. Nobody's hating him at this point, so it's a strange time. Yes. 
Uh, Patrick Waugh gets the con Smythe. More on that later. And then it's time for Stanley Cup presentation. On the 100th anniversary of the Stanley Cup, it is only fitting that it goes to the Montreal Canadiens for the 24th Congratulations to the players, to Ron Corey, to Serge Savard, to Jacques Demers. Guy Carboneau, captain, please come and take the Stanley Cup. Now you see one of sports' great moments right here. And Gary, the first thing Guy Carboneau did when his name was called was grab Denny Savard and drag him over to hold the cup first. What a captain. So a few things. Nice cue card for the French there, Gary, before he started off. Yes. Um, Savard, Denny Savard is the first player to get the cup. He, of course, had gotten hurt in game number one, so he's out of the finals. His first Stanley Cup has been in the league since 1980, being drafted by Chicago when the Habs didn't draft him and drafted Doug Wickenheiser. Hmm. Then after that, completely different for now. It's just the entire team skates around and just rapid fire handed off, and then they're back in the dressing room after five whole minutes. It was bizarre seeing that. That 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 was probably the most jarring thing out of the whole like the whole entire uh, uh, Stanley Cup experience. Basically, was it was like Carbonell. I mean, Carbonell uh, takes the cup from. Batman and hands it right away to Savard, which is fantastic in itself. But you, but you literally see a player take take the cup, put it over his head, kiss it, skate three, three, four, maybe five strikes, hands it off to the next guy, and that happened rapid fire throughout the whole entire team. Then you see Carbonell get the cup again. Then you see everybody take take the picture. Uh, Thorne mentioned something about uh, it looks choreographed, but it's not. Everybody knows where, where where they where they need to be, and then we're in the dressing room cracking beers. And it's like, I mean, yes, I agree, beers, but wow, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, Phil gets to see the Habs locker room. You'll if you ever go to the Hall of Fame, you'll get to see a facsimile of it. Phil is excited. Yes. Uh, they go to the panel, and John Saunders reminds Jim Schoenfeld and John Davidson that they lost Stanley Cups 1975 Buffalo 1979 with the New York Rangers. <laughs> My favorite part of the panel, because both of them are just looking at him like, you mother effort. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Yeah. Why? What happened? <laughs> Um, we also get John Davidson saying it's a tremendous playoff. Hockey is on the rise. <laughs> More than that another time. So your final stats, Kings, not really much. McSorley with the goal. Rudy with 25 saves. For the Habs, Paul DiPietro with two goals. Let's check in with Paul for his post-game interview with Tom Meese. I think Michael Whalen's in here as well, TSN. You know, we uh, we played a good game tonight. I saw an all-around game, and it was just a great time to play good. And uh, oh my God, this is great. Well, what was the key in this series? Celebrated after that second goal. Well, I knew I knew it was over. Then four-one, you know it's over. And, uh, holy shit, that's great. Now we're gonna do a party on now St. Catharines. Anybody coming or what? What the, what was the key in this series, Paul? You, you guys' defense seemed to just shut them down at every time. They wanted to go all offense with us. Uh, we all we had to do is play good defense, wait for the breaks, and we did that tonight. It was great feeling. What do you think about Patrick Waugh's performance? Patrick Waugh's the best goal in the world right now. He's, He's gonna be a. He's gonna make a lot of. He's a great, great guy and a great goalie. And uh, I, without him, we wouldn't have been here. What an ass bomb by Paul. Good Sue oh, boy right fantastic. there. Good North Ontarian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, back to the stats. John LeClaire and Lyle Oldline have two assists each. Stefan LeBeau and Kirk Wall the other goals. And Patrick Watt not overly busy in the cut clincher of 18 saves. So time for the aftermath before we get to each teams. The Habs go 10 and one in overtime games in the playoffs. Is that good? That seems good, I think. Uh, the previous record for most wins in the playoff overtime was six in 1980 by the New York Islanders. Uh, seven is the record since for non-Habs. That was set by the 0-2 Carolina Hurricanes, two out three Anaheim Ducks, or Mighty Ducks at that point, the 2020 Tampa Bay Lightning, and the 2023 Florida Panthers. The Kings are the first team to lose four straight games to win the Stanley Cup final opener since the Calgary Flames did to Montreal in 1986. 
Uh, Carolina's the next team to have that happen to him in 2002 against the Wings and then lost or to Vegas Golden Knights in 2018. Wayne Gretzky, who hints at retirement after the game, which is kind of interesting, reading the old Montreal Gazette articles about that, leads scoring in the playoffs with 40 points. No one has come to the 40-point plateau, 40 plateau since in the Stanley Cup playoffs. The closest player to do it, Evgeny Malkin in 2009. My Penguins. Ooh. <laughs> I'm going to ignore that. Gretzky's also the first player from a non-Stanley Cup winning team to lead the playoffs in scoring since Bernie Federico and Doug Gilmore did for the St. Louis Blues 1986. That team, of course, didn't make the finals. The next two players to do it were Pavel Bure and Sergei Fedorov of Vancouver and Detroit in 94-95. Wah, 16-4, 213, 929. Smythe winner, the first goal to do it since Bill Ranford in 1990. Uh, would win it for a second time, or a second contract win for Wog winning in 1986. Mike Vernon, the next goaltender, would do it in 1997. So, in terms of guys winning it twice at that point, Wog joins Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Bobby Orr, and Bernie Perrant as the only players to do it twice. He would win it for a record third time in 2001, the only player to win multiple contract trophies since Sidney Crosby, back to back of Pittsburgh in 2016 and 2017. Seems good. Also, there's a riot in Montreal after the game. <laughs> Why? What happened? That's Montreal. <laughs> You'll hear that in the intro or the outro with Jim Van Horn of Sports Desk and Michael Whelan of CSN doing all the things from that. My favorite things from that, Jim calling it, quote, an orgy of violence. And the mayor's calling the majority of the people or the minority of a bunch of bums that caused the riot. <laughs> Referencing the 84 Detroit Tigers World Series win and the shit that went down in the Motor City that time. So... Shit. Let's let's find some Detroit news footage, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> anyway, LA Kings and Lonchal Canyons. What happened to them after the Cup final run? Well, let's start off with the Kings. They lose Lonnie Loach to Anaheim in the expansion draft. In the offseason, they also brought in John Drews, Phil Favorite, from the Winnipeg Jets, and Rob Murphy from Ottawa. In terms of trades, uh, prior to the season, at the NHL draft, Corey Millen was traded to New Jersey on June 26th for a 5th, 1993, Jason Saul. On August 27th, Marty McSorley is traded to the Pittsburgh Penguins for Sean McEachran. Remember that. They'll come in handy later. November 2nd, Jeff Chickren is traded to Edmonton for future considerations. November 3rd, Mark Potman is traded to Hartford for Doug Huda. January 8th, Jimmy Carson is dealt to Vancouver for Dixon Ward in a conditional pick in 1995. On February 15th, Marty McSorley and Jim Pake are required from Pittsburgh from Sean McEachran and Thomas Sandstrom. Why'd you make the trade in August? <laughs> On March 19th, Donald Dufresne, who ended up going to Tampa up during the offseason for Montreal, is dealt to the Kings for a sixth-round pick in 1994, Dan Juden. On March 21st, Kevin Todd is acquired from Chicago for a fourth in 1994, that became Steve McLaren. In the 93-94 season, Gretzky becomes the all-time goal scorer near the NHL on March 23rd of a win over, or against Vancouver Canucks' 802nd career goal. The Kings, though... End up 27-45-12, 5th in the Pacific Division, 10th in the Western Conference, 16 points back of the Sharks. Nick Beverly's out at the general manager at year's end for Sudbury Wolves GM and former Sioux Greyhounds GM Sam McMaster. Beverly joins the Leafs in a variety of roles for the next few years, including being an interim coach at the end of 95-96 when Pat Burns was fired. Barry Melrose is fired late in the 94-95 season with a 13-21-7 record in that lockout shortened campaign. His only other NHL coaching game gig, I should say, came in 2008-2009 with Tampa Bay. The Kings don't make the playoffs again until 1998. They're swept by the St. Louis Blues. Their next series win wouldn't come until 2001. And then basically it's nothing until they win the Stanley Cup in 2012, make it to the semis before losing to the Chicago Blackhawks 2013, excuse me, and then nothing again until they, or not, they win in 2014. Uh, the league championship, of course, over the New York Rangers. So it's basically a whole lot of nothing after this, Phil, until those cup runs. Basically. Um, in terms of the Kings itself, I mean, we'll kind of touch on it here now. I mean, it's weird. It kind of feels like the end of an era in a sense, even though, I mean, Gretzky's still there and he's still keeping majority of the core, but it's kind of, other than that, other than that upset, of course, of Detroit in 01, they basically wander in the abyss for ages. And I mean, they haven't won a playoff series since that last cup run, but still, it's kind of like, 
<laughs> yeah, basically, it's it's, it's, it's it's weird looking at kind of how things play out after they run in the final because you think, okay, we have Gretzky there still, and those other pieces, you know, they're going to make some noise. Well, yeah, and then, and the no, that, and then they know, trade him in '96. Well, yeah, and then and then you've got you've got Lopetai <coughs> there, you've got Blake there, you've got Zola there. Like, there's still a lot of good pieces out there, but it's just weird how they. I don't want to say they drop off a cliff, but it really feels like that. That's what they do. As for the Habs, well, the good times continue at the NHL draft because they take Saku Koivu at 21. That turned out okay. That, that seemed all right. Uh, team players that leave, we mentioned Dufresne already. He goes to Tampa Bay. His future's on the Rob Ramage earlier in the year. They also lose Jesse Belanger to Florida and Sean Hill to Anaheim in the expansion draft, while Denny Savard goes to Tampa Bay. Players that come in, Peter Popovich from uh, Vasteris IK, Ron Wilson from St. Louis, Peter Seventy moves up from Fredericton. Brian Fogarty comes from Pittsburgh, and Brian Savage uh, comes in late in the season uh, from the Canada team of Winter, Winter Olympics and won a silver medal in Lillehammer. Let's remember some Norwegian cities. Yes. Um, in terms of trade side of things, Ron Gustav, Todd Ewing, and Patrick Harback are dealt to Anaheim for a third 1994. Chris Murray. Rob Ramage goes to Philadelphia for cash consideration November 28th. Um, Philly also acquires Cedric Shabbat on February 21st uh, in terms of cash. And on February 20th, Stefan LeBeau is dealt to Anaheim for Ron Tugnut. In 93-94, the Habs go 41-29-14 to finish third in the new Northeast Division, fifth in the Eastern Conference. They fall in seven games to the Boston Bruins, though. Pain for Phil. Brother. More pain for Phil. They missed the playoffs in 1995 for the first time since 1970. 11th in the Eastern Conference, four back of the New York Rangers, uh, who beat Florida by one point and... Tied with the Whalers at that, at, who were fight before by one who were tied with the Whalers, I should say, in that playoff race uh, for 9th, 10th, and 11th there. Uh, Denny Savard and Jock, De- or Denny Savard, Serge Savard and Jock DeMers are both canned after an 0 4 start in 95 96. No big trade is coming with Patrick Wild later in that season because the Habs are a mess, Phil. Shocking, I know. <laughs> well, Eve the cat is banging on the door here, so I'm going to let her out. But I will tell you as I go to grab Eve and Phil talks about his Habs. The Habs' next playoff win doesn't come until 98 when he upset Pittsburgh in six games. And then he reached the final again in 2021 for the first time in forever, losing to the Tampa Bay Lightning in five games. Paying for Phil. It, 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 it's kind of been the theme of the Habs' run to not necessarily even standing up finals, but just <coughs> deep, deep random run throughout the years. And, 93 really kicked that off. Like, the fact that they went to the conference finals, like, uh, against Philadelphia that, that, that one year. It, it was the seventh seed and the eighth seed in the, in the Eastern Conference. Like, what, what weird sickleness happened, you know, <laughs> happens there. But is, and 2021 is, is another one. It was like, this team, I mean, that team was good, but, you, you know, it was just, you know, I, I looked at it and go, Paul Byron wore an A. Like, it was just <laughs> such such a weird combination, and that's where I really connected the 2021 team to the 93 team. Because, I mean, yes, you had a lot of talent on that 93 team with Dan Poos and Schneider and Juan, on, on and on like that. But you also had, like, a bunch of, not even necessarily misfits, but just guys that plugged into the right sockets at the right time that made everything work all at once, and, you know, that's why they ended up losing the five against Tampa Bay. But to say that they lost to five in Tampa Bay in the Stanley Cup final is a lot better than what all the other teams did, you know? And, of course, as may have been talked about once or twice in Acadian media, the Habs are the last Canadian team to win the Stanley Cup. Goddamn uh, right they are. <laughs> uh, five of the seven teams have... Uh, that have been based in Canada. Well, I guess Quebec as well. But in terms of Canadian teams, five of the current seven teams have been in the Cup Finals in that time. Vancouver losing in 94 and 2011. Calgary in 2004. Edmonton in 2006. Toronto, Winnipeg, nothing. Montreal 2021. And Ottawa 2007. I mean, it'll happen at some point. But yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. I will gloat when I have the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... In terms of the fifth and deciding game of the 1993 Stanley Cup Final, well, I already know this because you're a Habs fan. Would you recommend game number five of the 93 Stanley Cup Final for people to watch? Absolutely, goddamn, lutely I will. And again, I said this at the end of 
of Game Two podcast. Uh, I say it as a as a Habs fan, but I'm also saying it as a fan in general. Like it, it, it is it is a fun game. The third period is kind of meh, just because the king the Kings don't necessarily even give up. They're just getting like outran by by the by the Habs at that point, but. The fact that you can watch the Stanley Cup celebrations makes it worth it for me. Gary Thorne makes it worth it for me too. You know. Mm-hmm. I would say like it's it's kind of a two parter. I mean, obviously because it's Gary Thorne, I'm going to recommend it. Um, I would say the um the game itself. Once the three one goal happens, it's over. So yeah, it's kind oh, of abs- like absolutely. Eh. Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah, because of the fact, you know, it's the last game team to win and that kind of thing. It's the last win for the Habs in the Cup Final. So, yeah, for that alone, I think it's worth going back and check out. Yes. Well, Phil, that does it for these last two episodes here in re- uh, recapping the series. Uh, thanks for doing this. Um, again, it's something that you wanted to do for a while as we discussed in the previous episode, so I'm sure you're pretty happy we got this one in the book now. Yes, I am, I am fully excited that we got to talk about it. And you'll be back on again for our annual year-end episode for the Game of the Year show at this point. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? It could, it could contain Rodney Gilmore, many ask, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on there. What is, could happen for the podcast. But you can hear that episode in a little bit. If you want to hear Phil's other appearances on the program, including the Game 2 of the 93 Final we discussed in the last episode, you can just search for your podcast on your favorite provider and go from there. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again soon. Hi, everybody. I'm Jim Van Horn. For the 24th time in their history, the Montreal Canadiens won the Stanley Cup last night. Winning the series at home was especially sweet, and the party should have been a celebration of Montreal's win on the 100th anniversary of the Cup, but it wasn't. Instead, the post-game celebrations turned into an orgy of violence and looting. Downtown Montreal was turned into a battle zone. Michael Whalen reports on what should have been a celebration, but wasn't. We're going to have the best type of party around that we've had in years. But it's going to be a clean party. It's not going to be like last time. But that's not the way it turned out. 168 people were injured, including 49 police officers of the city of Montreal. 47 police vehicles were damaged, 8 were total write-offs. Several stores in and around the commercial center near St. Catherine Street were broken into and looted. Marked vans and automobiles from television stations and networks were completely trashed. Damage is estimated to be anywhere from 8 to 12 million dollars. Police say they made 115 arrests. Even though events mirrored in many ways what happened in 1986, police say that they were prepared as could be. First of all, we were there. Police officers were there. We were over 200. And in just half an hour, we were over 600. We made a lot of interventions. And the proof, we had over 100 arrestations. So I think it's a completely different dossier than the one we had in 86. But shop owners beg to differ. They took the brunt of the vandalism and violence, and they say the police should have known better. They were organized to steal. My belief, sir. That's my belief. I'm telling you the truth. I've seen it. I've seen the way they, ma- they worked. The guy break a window and five guys couldn't take. Nobody stopped them. They steal the clothes. So, hey, that's, that's organized. Today, people were cleaning up in the aftermath of what took place. Montrealers were still stunned and horrified by the whole affair. We have to be ashamed of that. Why don't they call the army? They knew that they will have trouble. It's really disgusting. I, I, I mean, we're really proud of the Montreal Canadiens that they won, but the fans really turned it everything really disgusting. That's the, the only word I can think of, disgusting. Oh, I think it's just disgusting, like, uh, to have something like this happen in a, such a, an easygoing city like Montreal, you know? Like, the uh, city is not known for big vandalism like this, and we're, we're in a, a time of joy, not in a tr- time of sadness like this. I think it's so embarrassing to the majority of the people that live here. Uh, it's a very minority bunch of bums who do that. Uh, it's not the real fans of the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, I've seen it happen in Detroit when the Tigers uh, won a few years back, and uh, it happened a few years ago in Chicago. It seems to happen everywhere. Uh, you know, when I use the word bum, I'm not exaggerating. They just wait for that right time 
to express themselves and to them to express themselves is destroy other people's property. I have absolutely no respect whatsoever for people who do that. It was uh, really obvious that uh, we were not to punish the, 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 the millions of fans, of Canadians fans here in Montreal and in the area that want to, and mostly those who want to really celebrate with us in uh, dignity, I would say, and come to the parade tomorrow. So that, that's, why the reason, uh, that's the reason why uh, the parade will take place uh, as announced, but uh, although we had to modify the, the itinerary. The parade route will stop here at the corner of Cotonage and Sherbrooke Street. That's one block north of the Commercial Center. Now, it's easy to point a finger at the city of Montreal, but let's face it, hooliganism is now an international phenomenon, and the police in this city say that they had to make a choice between saving lives and saving property. They opted for the former, and they say they can live with that decision. Michael Whalen, TSN in Montreal.